Welcome to our podcast called Versed with Scott Tittle, a Vime Capital podcast, where we will be interviewing leaders in the long-term care sector who are shaping the future of the profession. We'll be discussing issues top of mind to them so our listeners can be even more well-versed as they tackle their day. This podcast is powered by Viam Capital, a new national financial services firm focused exclusively on providing capital solutions to the seniors, housing, and healthcare sectors. For more information, you can find us at viamcapital.com. I'm your host, Scott Tittle. This is Versed. Great. Well, I'd like to welcome Bernie McGinnis, the CEO of Majestic Care, to our Versed podcast. Bernie, welcome. You are our third guest. Oh, thank you for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's our honor for sure. You know, we've known each other for a really long time, and I was just thinking about all the various roles we've been in the sector back and forth over the last you know, 15 years or so we've known each other. Um, and we could go through all that history. But I guess for our listeners, maybe just give us a quick background on you and how you uh, got into the sector, how you arrived at Majestic Care, and then maybe a little bit about your company as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started in uh, post-acute care as a certified nursing assistant in Yorktown, Indiana on the evening shift. I took my CNA class there, had a nurse mentor when I was up at Ball State um, for one of my summer jobs, said, hey, you should look into this, try this out. So I did, um, really loved it. Went back to that camp the next year as a camp for special needs, um, ran by the Easter Seal Society. And they said, you know what? It, you should, you should keep pursuing this. And uh, I, I had, ne- had no family in healthcare and just said, well, I love being a CNA. I, I loved what we were doing. I felt rewarded. I wanted to be a teacher. And um, that reward was there, but I saw that healthcare would have a lot more avenues. And I, I pursued that, became a nurse in Indiana. I switched over to Anderson and um, became a licensed nurse. Uh, worked for a large national organization um, in a building that had some high turnover, did my AIT there, um, ran a building in Carmel, Indiana early on, and then joined a large growing provider in Indiana. Um, I had about 18 buildings when I left. When I left, I was senior vice president of operations. They had 78 locations in one state. I'd helped them grow, brought on you know several buildings through acquisitions. Um, and they had some changes at the top as, as an organization. It was time for me to uh, find a new landing spot and became the COO for um, a company that had seven buildings, bringing on five buildings um, into Indiana. They were in Illinois and was COO for 12 facilities for a small regional provider um, for a couple of years. And then, you know, as many of us have, we sit around the water cooler, or have a beer after work, and we say, you know what, if I own this company, here's what I do, here's what I do. And um, I had had the pleasure to work with our current CFO and co-founder, um, Don Kump, in a previous life, and we had had maybe a few of those conversations. And uh, that was uh, really how we started to talk about what did we do? We started a reimbursement consulting company, and that led to some operational decisions um, uh, operational opportunities within the industry. And, and that's really how Majestic Care was formed. Um, we found uh, a board of directors, an investment group, uh, an owner looking to get into the space, but really had no skilled nursing background uh, on the day-to-day operations. Um, and to own a nursing home today and to get the financing, it, it is complicated. Ownership is complicated and it's expensive. And uh, the line I use a lot with um, our care team members is that's not quite how I roll. So, um, you know, so we needed that support to be able to live out 
the mission and the vision and that water cooler talk that we had talked about for so many years. You, you have to have the financial resources to pour into a building, have the CapEx to pour into your care team members. So Majestic Care was formed in 2018 with four facilities um, in Indiana. Today, we operate 27 skilled nursing facilities in three states, along with seven assisted livings. We operate another organization, a consulting firm, Bluegrass Consulting Group. Um, I am the CEO of that supports and consults on 10 individual centers throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So over the last you know, almost four years, not quite four years, we've grown to an organization serving about 4,200 seniors throughout the Midwest um, and employing right around the same number of care team members. Majestic Care's mission has always been to focus on our care team members as those folks, those are the people who deliver the care. And if we can make sure they have the tools, resources, the knowledge, and most importantly, the energy to do their job and answer the call, that we're going to provide the best care possible to those we are so honored to serve. Yeah, well, Bernie, thanks for going through your background. You're perfectly well positioned to lead a company this size based on all the roles and responsibilities you've had in the various states you've worked in. And so... Uh, really excited to have you on today. Um, now, one of the things you talked about certainly was your your care and and respect and love for your your teammates, your workforce. You know, that's what we're talking about today. Really, is is your experience during COVID and some great work you're doing going forward to make sure you're retaining and attracting high quality staff. You know, at, throughout COVID, certainly our sector got hit incredibly hard. You know, we're we're at lowest employment levels in 15 years. Lost about 15 percent of the total workforce. Tell us about Majestic's experience through COVID, and then maybe go ahead and, and go uh, blend into all the great work you're doing right now with your current team. Yeah, we I don't think Majestic's that much different from the impact that COVID had had, right? The, the industry was already struggling with recruiting and retaining talent. We already had deficiencies, especially in certain markets, and enough nurses to even fill um, the openings in which we had. Um, COVID and the early resignation really impacted us. Early on during the pandemic, we thought, okay, maybe some people are really scared. I was scared, right? My family's scared. And, and so many of our staff members coming to work, they're dealing with those same things. Everything you heard on TV, am I going to bring this home to my own family? What type of guilt do I have? Am I going to die from getting it, right? Am I going to give it to my kids or to the residents that I love? And, you know, am I going to cause harm? And we saw a lot of people leave. You know, they were scared. Um, they, they hadn't been with us long as an organization. We were about 18 months old, you know, defining culture through multiple acquisitions. And, you know, I hear a lot about, well, the culture can help retain and help us recover from this. And I agree. Culture is going to matter very much to those care team members. But also a lot of organizations and the size where you're at in that culture, that doesn't just happen by accident or happen because we have a pretty logo, right? It happens because it's the day-to-day -day reinforcement of that culture. And, and one thing I noticed during COVID about culture was you couldn't get together anymore. We couldn't get people in the same room, break some bread together, talk. We had all these new leaders, new directors of nursing, executive directors, consultant staff. And if you want to talk about culture and living out our mission and vision, that's hard to do via Zoom and via Teams and, and those types of things. But at the building level, we were losing frontline staff. Um, people were scared. And it, it was um, a pretty typical experience for long-term care. When you needed the most staff, you had the least. 
because normally our staff um, contracted COVID. They were asymptomatic carriers. You had an outbreak in your building. And when you had your first initial COVID outbreak in your building, you could have 10, 14 staff members who also tested positive and had to be off work. Well, you got to create a red unit. You had to create another nursing station. People couldn't cross contaminate. You needed more staff than ever. And you were down 10 to 14 of your own staff members that you were worried about. We weren't the NBA. I say it all the time. We couldn't create a bubble. I couldn't rent out Disney World and put all our staff there. They had families to raise. They lived in the same communities. And um, it was just inevitable. The spread of COVID um, was going, if your county was red, there was a really high probability your nursing facility was going to get hit um, mm -hmm. with an outbreak. So we saw that. But as the pandemic drove on, I think a lot of the thought was, well, people will come back. People will come back. It, it just didn't happen. We were noticing it was only getting worse. More people were leaving. And as some other industries and sectors of employment started to see the climb back, skilled nursing has not seen that climb back. Whether it's because the great resignation and hospital RNs retired, they were you know, they resigned, they're working part-time. I know our local hospital systems have hired more licensed practical nurses in hospitals that weren't hiring nurses at all prior to the pandemic. Well, that's really put a, uh, a demand on those nurses um, and, and a, a real stressor on us from a staffing standpoint. So we got together an executive team a little over a year ago and said, okay, instead of waiting for it to return or beating our heads against the wall, what are we going to do different? We're not going to just sit here and continue to struggle and fail and, and lose directors of nursing because they're working 28 straight days on a cart or have or have residents with care concerns because we're really struggling to get staff in here and trying to manage these agencies. And I'm sure we could talk about that for hours. Their price gouging, the lack of accountability from this staff, which really matters more to me than the price gouging. It's it's the fact that if I tell an agency I don't need a nurse tomorrow because she didn't pass these meds, didn't do this, didn't do that, I'm the one held accountable from the Department of Health, and she works another shift in a competitor tomorrow. And that that we were just seeing those regulatory um, results starting to happen when surveys uh, picked back up. So we challenged ourselves. One thing we said, we're going to go more data-driven in our approach to recruiting. We had to make sure we had a good ATS software. We're looking at our data. Uh, at our data, who are we hiring? How long are they here? What is our turnaround time? Really trended out the way skilled nursing sector has really been trending um, referral volume and admissions for a long time. We had to expand our talent acquisition team. We had to get really defined, whether it would be with sourcers who can really help us drive our interview conversion. You'd be surprised how many people you just call. You think they're going to be at two o'clock today and they just don't show. Um, that's a frustration. And I hear it from other providers. I don't think that was a majestic frustration. So how do we get more interviews in? How do we close, close those new hires? And then how do we retain them? Too much of our turnover happens in the first 90 days. So we had to expand our efforts and get more analytical, but we really focused a lot on retention. And this is where, where I think there's a lot of different providers that are trying unique items. And this is one area I'm just so proud of the Majestic team because these ideas came from our leaders. They came from our, our executive team, from our building leaders, from our DONs. We have an awesome vice president of talent acquisition who leads this effort. 
Our VP of HR is so passionate about our care team members and that retention. And they brought these ideas and we had to partner with some outside vendors to help us achieve all of this. But we launched what we call the Majestic Difference. And we say, you know what? We need to quantify package to our care team members and let them know all the benefits we do and not just say that they're our mission and not just say thank you, but show it. How do we do this? So one thing that we've done, I think, as most providers have done during the pandemic, um, you know, because I do believe most providers care so much about this topic and are trying to figure out a way in which we can staff. Contrary to Washington's belief, most operators are here to bring more staff in so we can deliver quality care. So we have seen our wages increase by over 22% in direct care. We gave intentional raises out to our care team members. We moved to a weekly pay, which was really important to our frontline care team. And we focused a lot on those benefits right away. Let's bring our current staff up. Let's introduce a new wage model into the market. And let's go to a weekly pay. From a healthcare standpoint, we went out. We said, hey, during renewal period, it's our job to eat this cost. We offer a large United, um, a large national provider, healthcare plan, large network, high deductible, but not a MEC plan, not a catastrophic plan, but true health plan for $15 a week, you can insure yourself. And, And the rest of the burden is on Majestic. We give free telehealth, including free mental health to all care team members and their immediate family. And that costs them $0. They just must enroll. We have other benefits that we wanted to provide through a Panda Perks program as part of Majestic Difference. Panda's an outside vendor. Yoni works so hard for our account, finding different things. Melanie, when we went to, when I went, our VP of HR, when we went into Michigan, she found out like, they don't like Starbucks. They like Big B coffee. How do we get them 15% off Big B? Well, all, all Majestic Care employees get, care team members get 15% off this coffee. So we have discounts on scrubs, discounts on movie tickets, amusement parks, different things like that. And we said, all oh, that's great, but what are real benefits that we can do that I think stand out and are unique in the industry and make a difference in the lives of our care team members? Not just here's a perk, but here, here's a difference in the life. And so we went with a perfect attendance bonus. In addition to the raise, if you show up for every shift you're scheduled, part-time or full-time this week, you can be late once. Just please show up. Don't call in. You make $5 more an hour. That's a significant benefit to make sure you're not calling in on Saturday or Sunday. Staffing is so tight and every facility I see is kind of patched working a quilt of staffing going into the weekend. This nurse manager's picking up here. They're doing this. I've got agency to cover here. I've got Sally. Our night shift is going to work a double here and do this. And our, our schedule's filled. But you have a call-in for a 12-hour shift or for a double on a Saturday evening or a Sunday. There's no bench anymore to call upon. And that that was the difference. So how do we detour those call-ins? How do we thank this core staff that keeps coming back every day and do pick up the shifts and don't call in and reward them in a positive way versus just punitive nature through an attendance policy? And we put in the majestic difference for the attendance bonus. I believe, you know, for a frontline care team member, that can be an extra $800 a month 
um, just to work your basic shifts. Um, in addition, we launched a free cell phone as part of the Majestic Difference. For all full-time care team members, they get a free Android, Google, smartphone on the T-Mobile network, unlimited text, talk, and data. No more pre prepaid phones, you know, burner phones, changing their phone number, not able to get it, limited minutes, limited data. They won't return the scheduler's call. Everybody has a full-time um, phone number. We know it works. We pay the bill. We have a way that we can get them the app on their benefits. They can see their pay stub. They can sign up on the electronic scheduling system. They can pick up extra shifts. We can communicate directly with them. In return, they can have their Facebook and Instagram and do whatever they want and communicate with the world, which is so important. Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone wants to stay connected. And we're, we're trying to provide that service for them. In our urban markets, we've launched a, a housing discount. We've worked with, we don't own these apartments. I think that's a misconception. We have gone out and worked with different apartment complexes and different groups in our markets and said, hey, here's how many people we employ in your market. If we worked with you and they, and they had steady employment with us and signed a 12-month lease, would you be willing to do discounts? And we're, we're to 20% discount on housing in major urban markets, as long as they are a care team member at Majestic Care. 20% off their, their rent. So I use the example, Columbus, Ohio is a great example for us. It's one of the first places we launched. CNAs go from making about 13.50 to 15 bucks an hour. They're making an extra buck 50 an hour on, on a weekly basis, right? They're making an extra $60. You're making an extra $240 a month just on base wage alone. You are paying for housing or a cell phone or something out of that. Now you show up to work every shift, you make an extra $800. A one bedroom apartment with our Columbus partner is $714 a month with the majestic difference, it's 570. I pay for your cell phone, that should pay for your utilities in that one bedroom apartment and should give you enough money that you can afford to insure yourself with adequate healthcare coverage for $15 a week, all through the majestic difference and still have your base rate plus that extra couple hundred dollars to live your life and impact your financial situation, raise your family. I remember, you know, being a brand new LPN making $13.50 an hour with two children under $13. And it's tough. Right. And, and how our staff do it and the resiliency they have and come back in and take care of our residents. It's a physically demanding job. It's an emotionally draining position. And I don't think we talk about that impact. So we also give them free telehealth access, mental health. They can access it on their phone. That app is preloaded in the Majestic Mobile where all they have to do is schedule an appointment. Um, your kid has an ear infection. You don't have to take all four kids out to the minute clinic at 10 o'clock at night. You can talk to a nurse practitioner on the phone. We pay for get that amoxicillin called into Myers and, and go pick it up. You can uh, you can talk about your own issues that you're having. Some of those struggles that I think so many Americans are facing in this um, post pandemic world, um, that loneliness, the struggles we have um, and have access to talk to someone at no cost. So we're trying to find these types of benefits that invest back in our care team, Scott.
Yeah, well, I think for our listeners and viewers, you can tell why I was so excited to have Bernie on today because the, the passion upon which you brought your leadership there at Majestic is just incredible. And the creative work that you've done to try and attract and retain great people, I think is probably going to go a long way. And so tell you a little bit about, have you, have you had the, the Majestic Difference plan in long enough to see some returns on retention rates already? I mean, how's that, how's that worked? We have. Um, you know, we launched the Majestic Difference in October and November, depending on the market, um, when we could get some payrolls aligned in different items. And I don't think we saw the immediate impact. We saw the difference on the number of applicants right away, being able to advertise it. But that holiday time frame did not help us, I think, in closing. it. It's a difficult time for people to change. What we've seen, though, is the first quarter drastic impact on our operations. We took on some buildings in the middle of December in Toledo. Skilled Nursing News did an article on that. And by February 6th, a building that had been an agency, an 85-bed SNF with 40-bed AL attached, they'd been an agency for over two years. They've been agency-free since February 6th and remain agency-free. Actually, the entire state of Ohio, except for our most recent acquisition, we bought a building on April 11th, we owned five other facilities. And those five facilities were using in the fourth quarter of 21, about $850,000 a month of agency staffing, Scott. The second quarter, those buildings are going to be using, one building has has STNA, I'm sorry, has, has nursing agency in it in Columbus, and they've reduced, they're down below 50000 a month in agency nursing staffing, and the rest of Ohio is agency-free. No, so, those, are, those are real dollars, Bernie. Those are real dollars you can pour back into the building, pour back into the current, the current staffing model. I mean, that, that's, that's a real change. In over 50, sure. About 50% of those dollars pour right back into the operations of the building. We're not paying them to a staffing agency. They're paying for those increased wages. They're paying for the majestic difference. You know, they're helping these facilities recover from low occupancy and be operationally successful. Again, we've seen this impact in our indie market. We inherited two buildings from a large national provider last July. As of today, those buildings are agency free and have grown census by 50 ADC in the last nine months. So we didn't just halt admissions to, to reduce agency. We've been able to grow census and eliminate agency in these facilities and stay agency free in these buildings for at least 60 or 90 days. Trust me, we still have pockets of agency. We're still running, you know, as an organization quite a lot, but we've reduced it by about 40% over the first uh, four months of this year. And I would say you have to contribute that to the majestic difference, our ability to retain um, our retention rates are much better. You know, we, we look at them on a quarterly basis but our applications and our new hires have really increased. Um, we yeah, also did new incentives for our leadership, Scott. We have retention bonuses for our key leaders, directors of nursing, EDs, HR directors, MDS positions. Because if you can stabilize that leadership, you know so well at a local level, at that facility level, people don't come work there because they saw me on this podcast. They work there because they have that relationship with the DON or that executive director or that unit manager. And how do we take this focus of retention and reward our key leaders who answer the call every day and then arm them with the tools to go out and recruit more staff? 
Yeah. You know, Bernie, thanks for going into that um, additional approach with your senior leadership team, because I know that that certainly matters. Um, you know, my former boss, Governor Mark Parkinson, is president of CEO and Cal, has often said that, you know, we'll get through this labor crisis, but the, those that will do the best with the ones that solve this at the local level and that leadership will rise to the top and where operators then become the employer of choice in their market, not only amongst the sector, but among other sectors as well. And I think, again, for our listeners and viewers, I think you can see why I'm so excited Bernie on here because he's leading the way here through his team there. So having said that, uh, one more question I had for you, certainly uh, President Biden, his administration have recently put out a nursing home reform proposal. Um, and one of those components is a proposal for a, a federal national minimum staffing ratio or model. What do you think about that approach and what do you think that that may do to your operations going forward should it go into place? Well, Scott, I mean, I'm trying to be a little more concise here. I, I wish the administration would quit trying to grab headlines and start being collaborative with the sector. Um, there can be no mandates or regulations that don't come with real solutions. Some of those solutions are funding for these mandates, defining what the caregiver is, defining the definition of direct care for consistency, looking at some of the states who are backing up some mandates with different funding, whether it's Illinois or looking at maybe the New York approach, what will be good or what will be bad, looking at Florida's expanded definition of direct care in different departments, looking at how we bring in that non-certified caregiver into our world and support that, and then training, whether it's through immigration, letting more nurses in, funding, student loan forgiveness is a hot topic. Well, why aren't we talking about nurses? How do we look at trade schools versus just electricians and, and plumbers and, and carpenters and that type of career path? How do we get that CNA, that person who wants to be a caregiver during that senior year of high school and look at vocational, that LPN path right away through state funded initiatives? I think there's so many ways to be creative at local levels and I wish the government, instead of driving a headline of we're going to be punitive in our approach, would just sit down and be more collaborative. Because the people I meet in this industry, Scott, and have met over the last you know, 26 years, these are people who care. And we've invested our entire, I've done this since I was 19 years old. I've invested my entire life to long-term care to make an impact in the residents that I'm so honored to serve. And to adapt and change in today's workforce is going to require one funding that matches the mandates and two, a collaborative approach, not just a headline grabbing punitive approach to make nursing homes the punching bag again, you know, now that the pandemic is dying down, but to really let's get back to the light that was shined on the nursing home industry during the pandemic. We are a large part of the healthcare in our local communities. And how are we going to support the nursing home industry, not punish the nursing home industry? Because the staffing challenges we face aren't because of who owns your building or are you for-profit or no, not-for-profit. They are real issues that all of us face, and we're only going to solve them if we can have real communication together. Well, Bernie, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I think, hopefully, again, for our listeners, you can see uh, what leadership can do when it's, it's, it isn't restrained by unfunded mandates and when you can have leaders like yourself get out of the market and really make a difference in people's lives, not only for your residents, but also for your staff. So, Bernie, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and for our listeners for joining us for our third episode here. 
Uh, please stay tuned to next time when we're going to be attacking the Biden proposal at different angles, whether it's from the, pro the folks on private equity or the new value-based purchasing program ideas. So, Bernie, thanks again. This is Verst.